bienvenidos to this episode of Merendiando. This week we talked with Leslie Lee Cam, local activist and queer elder. Leslie talked about her journey from Trinidad, where she was born, to Toronto, and getting into queer organizing in the city. And about her experience combining art and activism in her most recent work, bringing together queer youth and queer elders. We also snacked on delicious giant empanadas from Jumbo Empanada in Kensington Market. They are amazing if you've never had them before. They are a really generous size and they're when they're all nice and warm, they're perfect for a snowy day. Really highly recommend them. Sit back, grab your snack and let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Merendiando. And this one is such so such a special episode because Leslie Maria Lee Cam is here with us. Woo! Hola. Hi Leslie. <laughs> Hi. We've been trying to get uh, Leslie to come to the podcast for almost a year. So this It's been that long. This is really important. It felt and and the first snowstorm of yeah. the year. And when the snow came, Leslie did too. So thank you for coming, Leslie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You are such a pillar in our queer community. Oh no. Yeah, sorry. I know it's a lot of pressure, but and it's like it's a big title, but it's also just like we love i okay i'll just speak for myself i love how approachable you are i love your energy i was really excited to have you on the podcast because in this podcast we try to feature artists and community members who are really involved in like the cultural world here and mm -hmm. i just feel like you have your finger in so many pots you got your you got you got lots of different projects that you're involved with so we want to talk about them okay but maybe we'll start with please tell us who is leslie maria Likam. Oh, that's a lot. Like, where do you want me to start? Mm, since the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you do? Well, I came here forty uh, nine. Well, it's going to be 50 years ago from Trinidad. We should throw a party. Your 50th anniversary with Well, Canada. we just celebrated my 49th anniversary in Toronto. And I didn't become an activist until I came out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was 1976. I also love how you uh, write in your emails. You say, whenever I, well, since I met you, you always say, uh, dyke, a dyke of color, Trini, no. How do you say it? <laughs> you say, Trini Caribou, dyke of color. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a caribou is? Is like Caribe. Caribbean. <laughs> See? No? But like a Canadian Caribbean person? Yeah, I'm Carib. So uh, yeah. those are the indigenous peoples of the islands, Caribs and Arawaks. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually was talking to one of my brothers who lives in Thunder Bay and he read my bio and he says, you have so many identities. <laughs> so I check off a lot of boxes. So I identify as a world majority, brown, trini, carib, Kalaloo, Indo, Chinese, differently abled, queer dyke. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. A beautiful, majestic creature. 
<laughs> I feel like I should be rising up out of the sea. <laughs> yeah, we can make that happen through art. Maybe. Um, yeah. So, so what was the question now again? No, now we know. I was like, I, I think that was what I wanted to get for you. Because I always admire and love how when you introduce yourself, you're like, no, no, no. Let me tell you who I am. Oh, and then there's Robin. So today there's Robin. So I always identify my mobility devices. Mm. So today Robin is with me. And Robin is your cane? Robin is one of my canes. And my canes, I have four, and they're all named after family members who were dead. So Robin is one of my brothers who died four years ago. Mm. And then there's Iris, who is a grandmother, and Lily, who is a grandmother, and actually Hugo, But Hugo, I got from a 106-year-old woman who was in the hospital with me when I was recovering from coming out of the coma. So she said to me she would never walk again and gave me her cane. And she had named her cane Hugo after her husband. So that was my first cane, is my first cane. Wow. I know Lily. I was like, yeah, Lily Lily is my dancing queen. Yes, that's how I know Lily. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So each of them have, uh, like, one is a dancing one. Is this, does Robin is no? Robin is sort of my everyday going out. Hugo is my Saturday grocery shopping. And Iris is for special evening or day events. Mm. Yes. What is, is there a reason why you name them each and they, like, they each have their own, like, yeah, I know it's the, where their names come from, Mm -hmm. but what is the idea behind naming them? Because they're part of me and I didn't want something who is, that's part of me to be nameless. Yeah. So what I find interesting now is when I meet other people who are using, oh, and my walker is Eartha, (laughs) (laughs) after Eartha Kit, (laughs) because Kit keeps me grounded to the earth. (laughs) So when I meet other people now who are using canes and I say, oh, what's the name of your cane? And they say, my cane doesn't have a name. And then they circle the room and they come back and they say, oh, now you've given me something to think about. Think about naming my cane. (laughs) I I really love that. Mm. That's really cool. Because we... um, Fun everything we could of you online. We uh, we saw that when you were gonna move here, when you were around sixteen, no, mm-hmm. yes, 16. you didn't want to come no. to Canada. No. Why? Well, the whole thing was my mother had left our family, my father, myself, and my three brothers, when I was ten, going on eleven, and my baby brother was six five or six and we hadn't I hadn't lived with her from that age until I was 16 then all of a sudden here is this person that I don't really know who's now living in another country who wants me to come and live with her and no I didn't want to come here and leave my friends and be with somebody that I didn't know somebody who had left us Mm -hmm. so yeah that's why I didn't want to come here Then you did. And I did. And it was very difficult. Yeah? Yeah. 
because going to high school here was not i i came from a school where it was all girls in, all, in trinidad in trinidad yeah i'd always gone to all girls schools and the high school I was in was a convent. You and I talked yes, about that talked with about. the nuns. Yeah, I love the nuns. <laughs> the nuns <laughs> made me a dyke. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a track record there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was a culture shock in more ways than one. Being with boys in school and then being in a country where, you know, you're dealing with people who you don't know. And the kids in school were bullying me, and they were racist. Yeah. In Trinidad, did you speak English or Spanish? Or? English. Spanish was an, our unofficial second language. It's now our official second language. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Because we are so close to Latin America. Yeah. And we have a high percentage of Venezuelans in our population. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I have been learning more about Trinidad and Tobago as an adult mm. because when I was a kid learning about South America, for some reason in all my classes, they just never included the Caribbean. Mm. They just didn't. That's unusual. It is unusual. And, and yeah, my parents are from Mexico, but, mm. like, we would always just talk about, like, Peru and Argentina. And then I was like, but w I had to actually look up, where is it? And it's on the mainland. Mm -hmm. It's on the mainland. It's right there. It's like, it, so I, I'm happy to learn more about it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we have um, adopted a lot of the Venezuelan culture, like pastels, which are called pasteles, mm -hmm. and parang music. I don't know yeah. that music. Yeah. Just writing it down. Came right from Venezuela. Yeah, and this is a time of year where Parang in uh, Trinidadian culture. Trinidad is the only island that adopted Parang music. And what does that music sound like? Like, what is makes it? Special? It's Spanish lyrics, okay. mm. and it's very fast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can Google it. We will. Yeah. We will dance to it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So you come here, mm -hmm. and then you. This, you were like, oh, I'm a dyke. How did you end it uh, in, in doing all this? How do you end up being part of LUT? How do you end up becoming involved with the queer movement in Canada? Uh, well, I went to York University and I was involved with a woman for three years while I was going to York. And she's also from Trinidad. But it was very quiet. We didn't identify as lesbians or dykes because we didn't have that language. And it was very secretive because she is Roman Catholic. So for her, it was a sin what we were doing. For me, it was exciting and <laughs> <laughs> orgasms. I discovered orgasms, <laughs> which were wonderful. Yeah, real nice. <laughs> and who, she was living with her sister and what was ironic was the hypocrisy. The sister had the boyfriend living with them, but the parents in Trinidad didn't know that the sister's boyfriend was living with them. Mm. And then when they caught us kissing each other one Saturday afternoon, within two weeks of us being found out, the sister shipped Sonia back to Trinidad and called my mother and said that I had led her sister astray and I was evil and I was horrible and, and it broke my heart. 
So Aww. that's when I, so we had been together for three years while she was going to Rice and then I was going to York. And after she was sent back to Trinidad, I went to York to the Homophile Association. That's the word that was used back then. The homophile? homophile. What? Yeah. What is the homophile association? It's another word for homosexual. Uh, yes, yeah. but like... From that time. From that time, homophile. yeah. Homophile. And oh. I said to them, I think that uh, I'm, I might be a lesbian. And is there some place I can go to meet other lesbians? And they gave me the name of this woman and told me about the lesbian organization of Toronto, which was at 342 Jarvis. And the next night I met this woman at um, Carlton Subway, College Subway, and we walked over to the house and went in and she was telling me this, you know, that loot is a place where there's a coffee house and a drop-in and there's a phone line, peer counseling. And I looked around and I didn't see anybody who looked like me. Mm. And I thought, well, I could be doing this. And they were just getting off the ground. So I joined up. Mm. And then I looked around and I said to her, where are the lesbians? <laughs> <laughs> I came here with a specific purpose. Yeah. Uh, my mission. <laughs> and she said, well, these are all lesbians. And I said, but they sort of all look like men. Oh. And she said, well, you have a choice when you are coming out. You have to identify either as butch, femme, or separatist. Mm. And I said, separatist, like in Quebec? Yeah. Because <laughs> I had no idea. Like, why would separatists from Quebec be? <laughs> Their own category of duck. Yeah, <laughs> Maple syrup, poutine. Yes. Yeah. And she says, oh, no, separatists don't like men. They stay away from men. But they look, they dress more like men than the men. Like, they didn't look like my brothers. They didn't dress like my brothers. So I said, well, none of those categories <laughs> apply to me. Hmm. So, <laughs> but they were very much into role-playing. So I learned all kinds of new language, role-playing, butch, femme, separatists. And then about a week later, after I, I went back to Loot and I said, I want to work on the phones, and I started doing that, and I started hearing the word dyke. Mm. And I said, so what is a dyke? And somebody said, oh, yeah, you know, they're always involved in politics. And so I said, oh, well, that's going to be me. <laughs> so I wasn't a lesbian for very long. Mm. So, so... Your definition of a dyke is someone who's really politically involved, is yeah. that right? Yeah, very politically active. Okay, in, in like queer rights? Yes. Okay. But is also attracted to women. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, I mean, that is, that is a lot. That is a beautiful story. But also, <clears> like, <throat> um, I guess you, you didn't realize, or how was it, how did you see um, queer people or gay people when you were living in Trinidad? Did you see much of that? Or? Oh, I, I, when I left Trinidad, I had no clue. I had had boyfriends in Trinidad. Yeah. I was involved with a boy, and we continued uh, writing to each other after. So I didn't get involved with the woman I was involved with until I was 
19. So between 16 and 19, I was corresponding with this boy. And his parents and my father all thought that we were going to get together and, mm -hmm. you know, get engaged and get married. And luckily I met Sonia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't until, um, I would say, 1989 when my father died and I went back. So a woman that I became involved with after my first partner was sent back to Trinidad. She was also a Trini, but she was white, mm. which is totally different. Mm. I mean, everything down there is, if you're white, you're in a different world. If you're a person of color, you're in a different world. Mm. And if you're white and you're rich, it's even more different. So she and I became involved, and the irony was that she was best friends with my first partner when they were in high school together. So they knew each other. Oh, yeah. yeah, the world is very small. Yeah. And then it turns out that her sister is a lesbian in Trinidad. Oh. But it was very hush-hush. Mm -hmm. So when we went back to Trinidad, I, was, I got involved with her in 1987 and went to Trinidad when my father died. I was introduced to a whole different world of lesbians who were in hiding. They were at house parties. There was one boy in Trinidad that one night a month you could go there. But it was very dangerous because if they found out, especially if you were a lesbian, you know, they would rape you straight or mm -hmm. they would assault you, beat you up. Mm -hmm. And if they found out you were a gay man, it was even worse. Mm -hmm. So it was all, all hush hush. Um, I think Trinidad had its first official pride. What are we in 2019, um, last year? Wow. There are organizations down there, but people are still in hiding. There's more of an emphasis on uh, HIV positive men. Okay. And they get funding for that. Mm -hmm. And most of the men are gay. They don't use the word queer. Okay. They don't use a lot of labels down there. So coming out is a North American Western concept. It's not well. You would know, mm -hmm. Monica, coming from Mexico, and you would you know in Latin America, you don't just come out because your life is uh -huh. you know is on the line. Yeah. And so last year, when I was in Trinidad last year. Um, with my friend Julie and got connected to a woman down there who's part of one of the the gay groups they don't call them queer groups mm -hmm. and she introduced me I said I want to meet women who are 50 plus who are queer and she says don't use that word we're women loving women oh. and I met three other women who were age 50 plus and it's sort of like an underground network and then when they had the Pride Parade last year, in um, I think it was in August, many of the people who were in the Pride Parade lost their jobs, lost their families, lost their housing. Oh my God. Because the media was all over them. <laughs> it was different this year when they had the Pride Parade. They were more prepared and people, you know, they're trying to change attitudes. So Trinidad is only the second country in the Caribbean that's changed the laws on the books. Mm. But changing laws doesn't mean attitudes change. So people are still in hiding down there. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, when I went down, here I am walking with my cane on one of the main streets in downtown Port of Spain. And there's this man across the street saying, hey, you want a good man? I can show you. I said, really? How would you feel if somebody said something like that to your mother or your auntie or your sister? Oh, sorry, sorry. I said, but you don't do things like that. Mm. But that's what it's like down there. Mm-hmm. All you need is a good man and we can turn you around, you know? Wow. So that attitude is still there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Trinidad is not a safe place for me despite my age. Yeah. But I guess it's just, it's interesting how when you bring people of different cultures together, like the word queer, not okay in mm-hmm. Trinidad, but here, like, oh yeah, we, we love that's, that word. Well, that's why so many, so Trinidad was one of the countries where you could not claim asylum from. Now people from Trinidad are coming here, and, and but now that the laws have changed, right. it's different. Until those laws change, because you know the 519 runs mm-hmm. the Refugee and Newcomer Program. Mm-hmm. So I know of three Trinis who have come here and claimed asylum and have been successful mm-hmm. before the law changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. It's a journey. we got to keep an eye on it mm-hmm. as it keeps developing. Cool. Talking about activism uh, <laughs> and uh, elder, I, w- I don't know. If, okay, I wanted to do another question about loot. Just to close loot, because what happened to loot? So loot folded, I think, um, sort of towards the end of the seventies. But what was interesting about that was that um, I ran into somebody the other day. Well, not the other day. I guess a couple of years ago. And I was talking about being at loot, and they said to me, well, you're not in the book. And I said, what book? And they said, well, I can't remember the woman's name. I think it's, I did it deliberately. <laughs> <laughs> this white woman wrote a book about loot, mm-hmm. and my name wasn't in the book, so therefore I was not at loot. Mm-hmm. This was a white woman telling me this. So recently I heard now they want to do a film about mm. loot so I said are you going to remember that I was at loot <laughs> and then I didn't hear anymore oh. about it so loot shut down but what was interesting for me about loot was that I was the only woman of color at loot mm-hmm. so somebody said to me well you were erased but in order to be erased you had to have been recognized to have been there in the first yeah. place. You can't erase something that's not there. When you were working with them, did you feel included or did you feel like seen? Um, I felt like I was um, like a toy, that something, that somebody who was different and it was, oh, here's Leslie, you know, let's have Leslie do this or Leslie do that. But the reason I wanted to be part of Loot was because I wanted to help other young women like myself who look like me not have to go through what I went through Mm -hmm. to be feeling lonely. And one of the things I decided when I went to Loot was that when I started going to the bars, because I I was out in the, the bar scene in a big way, dancing (laughs) and there were four of us who got together the only four women of color back then three of them were black and then there was me 
and we called ourselves the Disco Queens. <laughs> and I decided that every time I went to Obo, I would ask any of the women of color there to dance. Because I know when I went out, nobody would ask me to dance. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different way now of going out dancing. Nobody asks anybody to dance anymore. You're just all on the dance floor. You just stare at each other a bunch yeah. of times. <laughs> so you don't get, but that was the way you met other women mm -hmm. was by going up to them and asking them to dance. Mm -hmm. And I ran into somebody last year and she said to me, do you remember me? Well, I meet so many people. And I said, yes, I remember your face, but I don't remember your name. And she says, you asked me to dance at the Rose so many years ago. And if you hadn't asked me to dance, I was going to leave and not ever come back. And the fact that you made that gesture just made me feel so welcome. That's amazing. So that's something I always try to do when I see, you know, in any kind of situation I'm in. And it's not easy to do. I make the effort to do it because I don't want somebody to feel left out and to mm -hmm. feel lonely and to feel like I'm not part of what's going on because I was made to feel like that. Mm. It's bringing tears to my eyes just even no. thinking about it. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I had to make the effort to make myself part of loot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so now that I have been recognized as yes. being part of Loot, let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just hearing you say that, like, it just reminds me of how I see your interactions in when I've seen you in community events. You really do try to make everybody feel included and talk to them and, like, really look at them when you're talking to them. You bring them little gifts, like, to make them feel seen. <laughs> it's, it's so important. It, it, it always means a lot to me. And also, because I met you because of the Youth Elder Project, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember coming into the room and seeing the elders and seeing mostly white elders, mm. and then looking around the room and seeing you, and I was like, yes. <laughs> like, I, I felt a connection as a queer person of color to be like, I understand. Like, this journey of also being an immigrant, all these mm. things is like, my story, it, it was easier to share my story with you in the room than if you weren't there mm. like it was a lot of a connection and since day one i was like i love you because mm. yeah can we explain what the youth elder project is you explain <laughs> so the youth elder project is part of buddies and bad times theater and it started in september of 2016 yeah so long three years oh my god yeah okay and um it was the brainchild of vanessa dunn Lily Davis and Evelyn Parry, who is the artistic director of Buddies. And it was getting queer youth and queer elders together using theater. So that's how it started and when it started. And it's interesting that you said you felt that way about me because I had seen you perform at Sunshine Center oh, yes. that June oh, it's true. on the island. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm, I want to see her again somewhere. And then when we were doing the auditions. Oh, it's true. Yeah, you were there in the room. And I thought, I know her. And I came over to you and I said hello. Mm -hmm. But we hadn't spoken on the island. 
And then I didn't know that you had made the cut because the queer seniors and the queer youth met separately and we didn't meet until November at Buddy's. Mm -hmm. So I was so happy to see that you were there. Hmm. And we did have that connection throughout, you know, the time we were together. Yeah. And you are one of the the few youth that I'm still connected yeah. to from the project. Cool. Yeah. So then it sounds like, from what I know about the project, it was uh, queer elders and queer youth collaborating on a theater performance of some kind. Well, we started um, chatting, getting to know each other, and then we started doing workshops with different topics. And then when it got to be the end of December, we were told that they would be making a cut to narrow it down to six square youth and six square seniors going into preparing for a stage performance. And then when we met in January, that's when we met. Mm -hmm. we, we met seven square youth who made the cut and the six square elders who made the cut. Okay. And then we did more workshopping in preparation for a stage performance. Mm -hmm. And then we did uh, seven nights at Buddy's um, the end of May. And every night was sold out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and standing it. ovations. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so that's, so yep, the Youth Elder project is still going. Uh, we had the Youth Elder Initiative, and then we had the podcast, which happened last year, from September to December, every Saturday, yeah. <laughs> at the Oakwood Library. And so those conversations were recorded, and they've since been narrowed down, and three of the recordings are available online at Buddy's website. Amazing. And now we're doing community chats at uh, Buddy's on one Saturday a month from half past 11 to half past one. Great snacks and tokens provided. <laughs> so you can check out the Buddy's website for the Saturdays. Yeah, we have one coming up December the 7th. Okay. Yeah. That, this whole project sounds like a really cool example of how art and activism mm -hmm. can work together. So I want to ask you your opinion on that. Like, when has been an impactful moment that art and activism have collaborated for you? Well, it was YAP, actually, because I had been involved with theater before, but my only acting role was the back end of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Every great actor starts with something like that. Let's the so. back end of a cow. <laughs> and then I was one of the seven doors. Oh. <laughs> Which so, one? I was Doc. We made one up for me. <laughs> doc. I know a Doc. That, that, that's an important one. And then, so yep. not, then I was never involved in theater again until Yep. Yeah. And then we really didn't know what was going to be happening as part for a stage performance. <laughs> and we didn't know who was going to be part of it. So I was, I was happy. I sort of had a feeling I was going to be chosen because I was... Okay, so there was a debate about who was the only queer elder of color. So for me, I was the only queer elder of color that was visible. Mm -hmm. And there was that debate. Yeah. So there was an indigenous uh, queer elder, two-spirit. But for me, she wasn't visible. 
So I said that I felt I was the only queer elder of color. So we had a conversation about that. Sounds complicated. <laughs> it was because when you have white skin privilege, mm-hmm. you need to name it. And I didn't know she was indigenous because for the first two sessions, she didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So that's also telling if somebody isn't feeling safe enough to say that they are two spirit in a group. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it was great having the performance, and then um, so now I've been told I'm an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just I have one more kind of follow up for that. Um, right. So, what do you think art can bring to activism now that you've had this experience with this project? Like, has it influenced how you do your community work? Or do you involve more art in it now? Or do you still have your own kind of community work thing and you do art separately? Well, I don't know if, do you call storytelling art? So I've always been a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So I've always used that art form as part of my activism. Because I find that through people got a lot out of our stage performance, and um, my piece, the 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 ending of the piece that I did, was me stamping my cane on the floor, and saying, "Do you see me?" Mm-hmm. And uh, so many people have come up to me on the street and said that that was so powerful. And with storytelling, I find that pe- it's easier for people to hear something mm-hmm. when it's not right in their face. So through art, whether it's on the stage or storytelling, people are more open to hearing a message without realizing that they're hearing a message. Mm. So I'm a storyteller. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so now after Youth Elder Project, you continue to working with Vanessa Dunn and Daniel Carter. Yes. A lot. So what all, all the projects, because every time I, I see invites on Facebook of you, you are in so many projects. Because you, <laughs> I feel that you work a lot with uh, with uh, queer elders and providing mm-hmm. like, because I've been to parties and events. Oh, yeah. So Vanessa and I do time after time. And that started in 2014 as part of the Senior Pride Network. They wanted to do a social event to celebrate queer seniors. There was a conference that the Senior Pride Network had hosted at the 519, and they wanted to end it with a dance. So Vanessa and I got together because I had been creating events from, I mean, I did a night at the Red Spot once a month for a year. I don't know if you've heard of the Red Spot. So it was on Church Street upstairs, what is now Sailor. Oh, yeah. Mm. And it was the only place on Church Street for queer people of color. It was managed by a Sri Lankan man, and it was a place for us to go and feel safe. So I had a night once a month called Island Spice. I, all my performers were queer people of color, um, and it was always packed. So when Vanessa approached me in 2014, oh, plus I did organizing for Pride with queer people of color, lesbians of color, world majority lesbians, queer women coloring the century. So when Vanessa approached me, I said, yep, yeah, I can help produce an event. 
But one of the things we decided, it was going to be intergenerational, which was really important mm -hmm. because the Senior Pride Network was only focusing on queer seniors. And I said to them, I am not getting involved with an organization unless youth are involved because I know what it was like for me coming out. And in 2014, I was the co-chair of the Senior Pride Network. So we named it Time After Time. And Vanessa also had a background in organizing and she's the lead singer for Vag Halen, giving a plug to Vag Halen. <laughs> <laughs> so we organized, <laughs> we organized the event and it was a huge success. And we continue doing it. Um, the last one we did was at Rakai, which is a long-term care home. Mm -hmm. And this time, instead of it being uh, an, uh, like a dance event, it was a picnic-style event. And it was outside. It was from 2 to 5 p.m. It was a wonderful afternoon. We had more than 150 people come through. We had... Um, the dancers from Uganda, dancers and drummers. We had drag queens. We had the first 73-year-old burlesque male dancer. Bricks and Glitter also hosted a queer seniors event at Gladi. Yes, you were there. <laughs> Camilla was there. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. Yes, yeah. it was. It was a lovely afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big part of my organizing now. Yeah. We're about to wrap it up, but I think the one last question I would ask would be just to, because we've talked a lot about youth and elders getting together. So in your opinion, Leslie, what is the advantage that we could have of having more intergenerational queer spaces? Learning from each other, supporting each other. That's the most important thing is supporting each other. And I know there are a lot of queer seniors out there who say, oh, the youth, they have no idea how hard it was for us. And I say back to these queer seniors, you have no idea how hard it is for queer youth right now. It's easier to come out, but it's not easy to try and survive in this world. And the queer youth that I know are working three and four jobs, constantly scrambling for housing. And a lot of them don't have families who support them. And, you know, I was telling you earlier about the community chats and hurt in our communities so another thing that i say it's more than one community I mean, we have many communities and i want to end by saying kindness caring and compassion is so important in the ways we treat each other yeah oh. amazing thank you so much for being with us leslie oh. and for bringing us chocolate <laughs> we're supposed to provide the snacks yeah. and well, then you, you one up us with these delicious chocolates no I'm looking forward to the giant empanada yes. <laughs> thank you for having me thank you so much Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with support from the Metcalf Foundation the Laidlaw Foundation the City of Toronto the Canada's Council for the Arts the Ontario Arts Council and the Toronto Arts Council Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness, with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca. 
follow at Aluna Theater on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts.